Well, good morning, everyone. It's so glad to see you here this morning. I'm glad you're all here and had a better experience than I had this morning. Um, you know, when, when I heard you had to turn up your clocks, the first thing is, oh, my goodness, I hate this Sunday. We're going to lose an hour. It's the worst Sunday of the year. I have to get up early. Right, And so I had that in my brain. And so last night, instead of falling back, I sprung forward. And so I wake up and I look at the clock and going, oh my gosh, I'm late. You know, so I start rushing and my wife goes, what are you doing? I go, what are you doing? What do you mean I'm late? They're going to start this service without me. And so she goes, Dave, no, it's only this. I go, what? And then um, what happened was... <laughs> I said, oh, okay, I was so relieved. I, w- I went back to sleep, and I overslept, and I was late anyway, you know? So my watch right now says 12.30. I, I haven't changed that yet. But we're so glad that you're here um, today. Um, for those of you who are new, we're going over our vision and values. And remember, our values, I said, are the guardrails. They're the ones that, they're the 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 road that um, we want to operate in. So if you operate outside the guardrails, it's like, okay, that's not how we as a church want to operate. And so we we're talking kind of about our values. And last week I said, you know, a lot of values are just tough, right? Because we have our values, but the problem is we also have competing values. And we may not know we have competing values, but we do. And when they compete with one another, it, it really doesn't matter what you say your value is. The competing value, if that's stronger, that one always wins out. And so those are things that we have to take a look at. And remember when I started even the vision statement, when I first did the vision statement, you know, years ago, you know, I, I just did the vision and values because we needed visions and values. But this go around, as I'm really studying them, you know, I could see how God is using them to shape our church, to take us where we uh, need to be. And at the start of our series, I said, this is going to be hard because I didn't realize how hard our vision is. And, you know, part of the purpose of doing this is to kind of give us, to, to push us, to challenge us. And last week, we talked about Connect, which is joining people together to experience God. And I showed you out of all of our values, this is the hardest one for me because I'm a high introvert. On a scale of one to 10, I'm maybe like a two, you know. But this is also the work where I saw God do the most work in me. Um, because if you saw me 20 years ago on a scale of one to um, 10, I would be like a negative five. You know, I wouldn't talk to people. I'd be so afraid to talk to people. But God did his work in my life. And, and so, you know, this was hard. It was uncomfortable because as I planned this sermon last week, you know, all of these memories of all of these awkward conversations I had with people just started flooding me. And it was like, I don't know, have you ever just screamed? Out? You're just sitting by yourself and you just scream because you, you, you remember these bad memories? Well, that was me all week preparing for this. And so I get it, this is a hard value. And some of you came up and said, Dave, this is so hard. And I go, you know what, I know it's hard. And just do your best, right? You know, I, 
You know, this is uh, called the weekly challenge, not the weekly mandate. You know, so wherever you are, wherever you are, you know, just do your best at where you are. And that's, you know, and so I know some of you have told me stories where, you know, you, you met new people and new friends. Another person told me that they were going to get that blessed book and they wanted to try it out at work. So, you know, like I said, I get it, it's hard, it's hard for me. And the reason I said next eight Sundays is there was a reason for this, because what happens at the end of the eight Sundays? What event? Christmas, right? And as Christmas, you know, there are two times of the year when we have the most visitors, Christmas and Easter. And so part of it is just to get us ready for Christmas. That's why I, I, it wasn't arbitrary. I just picked eight for that number. But like I said, um, just do where, wherever you're at, you know, just go from there, you know. And so that was our first um, value. The second value that we're going to talk about is care. And care is looking for and meeting the needs of others. And I just want you to remember this one point today. And is that caring is part of the DNA of a believer, Caring is part of the DNA of a believer, that if we are a believer, caring has to be a part of how we live our lives. If you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Matthew 25, 31? Matthew 25, 31. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And so here we see Jesus and he's on his throne and he's getting prepared to judge people. Now in the Bible, we know that there are three judgments, okay? There are three judgments in the Bible. Now I'm just... Unfortunately, I don't have time to go over this really, so I am going to give you a really um, quick version of this. There's an um, event in the Bible called the rapture, okay? It hasn't happened yet, but I believe it's coming, and I believe, in my personal opinion, I think it'll either come in my lifetime or definitely maybe in the life of, you know, our children. But basically what the rapture is, and this is when the Bible talks about this event, where the dead in Christ will rise and meet Christ in the, meet Jesus in the clouds, and then those of us who are living at this time of event will just be boom raptured, and then we'll meet Jesus in the clouds. Okay, and so it, if this happened today, you know, it'd be like all those who are believers will just disappear like that right, because we'll be with Jesus. And that's the event called the rapture. Well, we, I believe that's going to happen. But after that, while well, we're in the clouds, you know, with Jesus, after the rapture, we're going to have what we call the uh, believer's judgment or the Bema Seat of Christ. And that's when all of us, each one of us who are believers who are going to have to um, stand before Christ to be judged. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, for we, meaning believers, must all stand before Christ to be judged and we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in the earthly body. Now the good thing for us is when it comes to evil, our sins have been forgiven. 
right? And so I don't look at this as, you know, this is your life, all the good things you're going to see on the screen and all the bad things. You know, God's forgiven us uh, for those things. So I think this is going to be a reward ceremony for us. And we also see that in Corinthians, where what, what did the Apostle Paul say? He said that when we stand before Jesus, we build with gold, hay, no, gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw. And basically, we're building this metaphorical house, and this house is going to be lit. And so whatever the gold, um, silver, and precious metals, those are going to remain, and then we are going to be rewarded for that. But the wood, hay, and straw is just going to be burned off, and we're not going to be rewarded for that. It's like, oh, my goodness. You know, there's certain things we could have done, but we didn't. And... um, for God, or, or, you know, when we sin, those are the things, those are going to be burned away, and we're not going to be judged for it, but we're not going to be rewarded for it. So that's the um, first judgment, okay? And so after that judgment, we believe, or, you know, I believe, I should say, there's a seven-year tribulation period, okay? This, the Bible talks about a period of seven years, which is the worst seven years in the history of this world. The first and the last three and a half years is called the Great Tribulation. Of the seven years, the last three and a half years is the Great Tribulation because that will be absolutely the worst three and a half years in the um, earth of this history. This, and so you're going to see some pretty catastrophic things happening. So after this um, seven-year tribulation, Jesus is going to come, and this is where this judgment is going to take place where I believe is he's going to separate separate the sheep from the goat. Now these are the people that live through this tribulation period because there will be believers that come to Christ through the tribulation period, right? And so at this um this the one that I'm going to talk about today, I believe is going to happen after the seven-year tribulation. So fortunately for those of us who aren't believers, we're not going to be at this judgment. We would have already had our judgment. But that's this judgment right here. So those who have lived through the tribulation period, believers are the sheep, unbelievers are the goat, and that's this one. And then I also believe after that, there's going to be a thousand-year reign of Christ. Well, there's going to be a thousand years, which we call the millennial period, where the Bible tells us that Satan is going to be bound. Okay, there's still going to be evil on this earth, but Satan will be bound. But after the a thousand years, Satan will be released. He'll launch a final war against God. And then, of course, he'll be defeated. He'll be thrown in the lake of fire. And then we have the great white throne. Okay, now the great white throne is all of the believers will come before Christ that all the unbelievers throughout the history of this world, right? And then those who came to know Christ in the thousand-year period. And this is a, a judgment where they said the books were open, the book of life. Have you ever heard of that? The book of life. And it says, if your name is not listed in that book of life, then you are what? Cast into hell for all eternity. So those are the three judgments. I know I went through those quickly, but this judgment here that I'm talking about you know, I don't believe that those of us who are believers now will experience it, but there, I think there are lessons that we need to learn from this judgment, okay? And so what does he say? He said in verse 33, he will put the sheep on the right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, which are the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my father, 
take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And so Jesus, um, oh, I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And so here Jesus takes the sheep, and he commends them for what they did, right? But then those who are the sheep, they're, they're a little bit puzzled by this, right? Because... Um, Jesus said, you did these for me. And so they, they, they answer Jesus, and he says, then the righteous will answer him and says, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? Well, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? Okay, could you, so you could see why they're confused here, because when is this judgment taking place? It's taking place in an event that's, well, I believe is future, that has not happened. So just like us right here, if Jesus said to us, you know, when I was sick, you took care of me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And I think all of us would reply the same way, Right? I go, Jesus, we never saw you. When, when did we give you something to drink? You know, when did you feed them? And so obviously when Jesus is talking about this, he's, the people will probably react in the same way uh, we did. But once again, in verse 40, Jesus explains this. And he says, and the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And so he's commending them. Now, I want to make it clear that when it comes, these sheep are the ones who are saved. These sheep are the ones that are going to be ushered into the kingdom of heaven. However, they are not being ushered into the kingdom of heavens because of their good works. They are not going into heaven because they fed the poor. They are not going into heaven because they gave somebody a drink or clothed them or took them in. That is not why they're getting into the kingdom of heaven because we believe and still believe that entrance into the kingdom of heaven into the kingdom of heaven is by what? Faith and grace and that alone. We do not get in. It doesn't matter how many people you feed. It doesn't matter how many poor people you provide clothes to. You know, that's not going to get you, get you into heaven. So that is not the point of this um, what Jesus is saying here. So I just want to make that clear to clear up any confusion. That is not the point that Jesus is trying to make. However, what Jesus is trying to say is that care is a telltale, telltale sign that a person is a believer. That you are not saved by your works, but if you are a believer... These things should be evident in your life, that it is incompatible for a believer to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, and not care and not love people. Those things are incompatible, and this is what Jesus is trying to say here. 
And so for us, you know, this is a, a, a good example of, okay, Jesus thinks this is important. Jesus is trying to say, these are the characteristics of the sheep. Therefore, those of us are sitting here today is when you look over these things, how many of these things are characteristics in your life? How many of these things would you be doing? Because Jesus said, this is what you should be doing. And if you notice, they're all action items. You know, they're not, oh, you know what? I'll pray for you. You know, somebody comes up and says, oh, I need this, I knew that, I lost my job, and I'm kind of shorthanded in money right now. And then we go, you know what? Why don't you come over here, let's pray for you. And then we pray that God would uh, provide them the finances they need, right? Now, is prayer good? Yes. We need to pray because prayer is powerful. It really is. It's the most powerful weapon we have. But in this case, writing them a check would be more effective than just say, God be with you. You know, I hope God will provide for you. It's just not through me. Right? I hope somebody else. Oh, God, please send somebody else to provide for this person. That's what Jesus is talking about. Because if you look at all of these, right, it says, you gave me something to eat. You gave me something to drink. You invited me in. You clothed me. You looked after me. You came and visited me. These are all verbs. These are all actions. These are all a part of the DNA of a believer. Jesus is commending the believer for the actions they took on behalf of those who need, in need. You know, James 2, 14 through 16, James, right? It's, it's not up there, so if you could just write down. He said, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If, you say, if one of you says to them, go in peace, Keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? And that's what Jesus is saying here. You know, if we come across people who are in need and we just say to them, go in peace, keep warm, be well-fed, James is saying, what good is it? And Jesus would say, it's worthless. It's worthless. And see, this is why we have family promise. You know, family promise is a way for us to go and to do these things, right? And part of it as a church, we want to be able to care for the community. We want to be able to do these things as a church, the things that Jesus is explaining because he's saying, not only is this the DNA of the believer, this has to be the DNA of the church too. And this is why we do it. So thank, I I just thank all of you for participating in Family Promise because we've been doing this for, I don't know, nine, ten years now. And I know it gets difficult because it doesn't stop. Homelessness doesn't stop. It keeps going and going and going. But you know what? It takes perseverance to keep serving. And so thank you so much, all of you, for participating in it. I know it gets tiring after time. You know, it's like, oh my goodness, this is like the fourth time this year. We just had it. And the reason we kind of had to put them together is one of the churches backed out. You know, and if we didn't step up and take an extra slot, then um, the, these people, these homeless family wouldn't have a place to stay. And so we 
actually took an extra slot, and that's why they were so close together. But, this, but it's important that we do this. Why? Because we are trying to obey Scripture. And so this is one of the ways that we care for people. So I hope that, you know, that even this upcoming one, you know, that, you know, you help because you're doing what Jesus asked all of us to do. And another way we do it corporately is we have a mercy fund. So thank you all of you who have contributed to that. But for those of you who don't know that we do have a mercy fund, it's just a fund that we use to help, you know, members in our, our church that are struggling. And, and so if you know somebody um, who might be in need, because I know, you know, this is really, really hard, and I get this, is to ask for help, right? And, but then if you know somebody who's in need, you could ask on their behalf. You know, do you, you just, you know, contact myself or, I know, Kim, could you raise your hand there? Kim Yokoyama, she's right there. And Fred Sand, he was the one who was a co-chair of our board. And we're the ones that oversee this. You know, you turn in an application, we go over the application, and we distribute the funds. But that's what our funds are there for, so please use that. So this is how he sees the sheep, right, who are doing what he wanted them to do. And they're surprised. They're surprised. But there's another group of people that are going to be just as surprised. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So this other group, um, instead of being ushered into heaven, you know, they are judged and they are told to, okay, right now, you are condemned to hell for all eternity. And the question is why? It says, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And then they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? Once again, they're just as strange. They're just, not just strange, they're just as baffled. And they said, Jesus, when did we see you have all these needs and not take care of them? The same question that the first group had. And it says, um, Jesus will reply, he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So once again, remember I said that entrance into heaven is not based on works or faith. It's based on works. It works, okay? It's not based on works. It's based on faith and grace, okay? Now if you, on the opposite, Right when Jesus, what Jesus says to these people, it's not because they didn't feed people. It's not because they didn't give them a drink. It's not because they didn't take them in. Jesus, you know, banishes them or judges them because what? They didn't have faith in Him. They didn't believe, and they didn't accept His grace. And this is why. But also their lack of compassion. Their lack of love was an indication that they were not believers. Okay, you see the difference? Their lack of caring was an indication that they weren't believers. Just like for us, caring 
is an indication that we are believers. You know, I read this quote, and, I for, and, and this one person said, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you make them feel. Right? Let me repeat that. I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And this is true as a pastor. Because, you know, I've done so many sermons I can't even remember. And if I poll you and I asked you, so what did I speak about two weeks ago? I would say 99% of you would go, you know, let alone one year, two year, three. I even forgot what I preached about, right? So you're going to forget what I teach you. You know, you're going to forget all of the ministries that I started or helped start. You're not going to remember that. But you're going to remember how I made you feel. I remember one time at my other church, um, when I was a, a pastor there, there was this one Thanksgiving where we used to serve Thanksgiving to the community, and we did that for a while. And, and, and so I went in the morning to help set up. So I got up and I went and I set up for this Thanksgiving event. And then um, our family had brunch at the Otani Hotel, New Otani. I don't know what it's called now, but they used to have a great brunch for Thanksgiving. And so we used to go there. And so we spent time with, you know, Grace's family and enjoyed that. And then after that, Grace, Michael, and I, we went to Disneyland. And so we went to Disneyland, and, um, you know, we were getting tired because it was a long day. So I got home at, it was around 10 o'clock. And then I got a call from one of our seniors that her husband was going into surgery that next day and was nervous. So all of this happened at 10 o'clock. And so then, you know, I'm tired, but I called one of my, you know, fellow pastors, and I said, hey, you know, one of our seniors is nervous. I know it's late. I know it's Thanksgiving. You know, could you go to meet a Good Samaritan Hospital? And so we both went to Good Samaritan Hospital, which is in downtown L.A., and we spent time talking with an individual and praying for them. All right? And at my farewell um, celebration, the wife of this person got up and said, this is why we appreciated Pastor Dave. And she talked about that. But you know what? I forgot all about that. Well, I didn't remember that. But this one person did. And she thought I just came out at 10 o'clock, but when she found out my schedule that day, she was just said, Pastor Dave, that was crazy. Why did you come out? You know, you must have been really tired. And granted, I was a lot younger then. So yeah, <laughs> um, but um, I forgot about that. But she remembered that. And this is why care is so powerful because those are the things that people remember. They're going to forget what, they, what you teach them in whether it's Sunday school or me from the pulpit or in your life groups, Right? but people will remember the time that you cared about them. And this is why care is such a powerful tool as a witness for Jesus Christ. And this is why um, we want that to be a part of our DNA here too. 
You know, Gary Collins wrote an article called How to Have a Caring Church. And then what he said in this article, in order to have a caring church, it member, its members need to have six characteristics of what he described a caring, as a caring believer. And so we're only going to go through three today because I don't have time to go no, we're going to go over four because I don't have time to go over all six. But the first one he said is love, that your congregation has to have the characteristics of love. And, you know, and we see in John, uh, John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And you must love one another. It didn't say you should Try to love one another. What does Jesus say? You must love one another. And this is a requirement that Jesus is saying. It's not an option. He said you must. And then he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Once again, love does not save you but love is an indication now sacrificial love and you know the love that he's talking about here is a agape love that seeks the best for the other person he said that is the evidence that you are my disciples that is the evidence that you are a sheep and so Jesus is consistent when he's talking about what are some of the evidences of being a disciple of Jesus Christ and one is ability to love but it's not just our ability to love each other because what does Jesus say if you love somebody who loves you what good is that anyone could do that but what does Jesus do he extends that and he says no you are to love your enemies you are to pray for those who persecute you he elevates our definition of love because left up to our own we would just love the people around us the people that are like us but what Jesus says here is a mark of a disciple is love. So in order to have a caring church, love has to be a part of how we operate, right? And so the next thing is patience, right? And he said the next characteristics each one of us have to have is patience. And Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Because you know what? When we care for people, there is no timetable. How many times have we cared for people? And we said, man, they should have been better by now. You know, I thought this was a one-time thing. And oh my goodness, it's been a year now. Come on, get with the program, right? Sometimes we do that. I, I've done that too, right? As you care for people and you think, okay, um, there's a timetable. But one thing that I've learned in my 30 years of ministry, when you care for people, we're all in different places, and it's a process, and it takes time, and it takes what? Patience. It takes patience, right? So we have to give up our own timetable, and this is what he was saying, is that we have timetables on um, when we care for people. He said, you know what? We need patience, not timetables. The next thing is flexibility. 
And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I made myself a slave to everyone to win as much as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like those under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, as to win those who are under the law. Right? To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free of God's law, but I, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. Okay, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. So Paul says, I'm all things to all people. Now, Paul never ever gave up or or just, um, he never ever compromised the gospel message. That's not what he was, when he says, I became all things to all people, he was talking about certain things to live like them that did not compromise the gospel message, that did not compromise what the Bible says. Paul never compromised that. He never compromised by what the spirit of what scripture is saying. But he was saying that, okay, for those who are under the law, for those who are a Jew, when I'm with them, okay, I'm not going to have bacon. Even though I could eat bacon now, because, you know, God says, hey, it's okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give up on shrimp, not going to have lobster, you know. What? For the sake of them, because, you know, a lot of them still believed in that. But Paul was willing to say, okay, I could give that things up. I could live like that when I'm around you. So what? So I could win you to Christ. But those who were Gentiles, right, he lived as those who are Gentiles without um, disobeying God's word, meaning that, okay, when I'm hanging out with you, hey, I'm going to have bacon, you know, I'm going to have lobster, I'm going to have the shrimp, all of the things that the Jews um, didn't eat because of their dietary laws, Paul will say, okay, when I'm with you, I'm going to do that. See, Paul was flexible with them. And, we, and when we care for people, we need to be flexible also. Because how many times do we care for people in the way that we want to be cared for? You know, we do that a lot. I do that a lot, right? But we have to realize that everybody's different. You know, just because I'm cared, I feel cared for one way doesn't mean that Chris is going to feel cared for that same way, right? Or Diane or anybody else. So what I need to do is I need to know Chris. I need to know how, he's, how, what, how he feels cared for and be flexible to saying, okay, that's not what I would do for myself. That's not how I was raised. But you know what? If this is the way he feels cared for, then I'm going to be flexible, and I'm going to care for him that way. And so that's the way each one of us need to have that flexibility, to care for people the way that they feel cared for, not how we feel they should be cared for. Finally, humility. It says, Jesus says in Matthew 6, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, 
do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then the Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Once again, we see the same thing, is when you're giving to the needy, when we are acting as a sheep, when we have care as part of our DNA, we have to add another component to that, humility. And what Jesus was saying here in Matthew is don't be like those who when I do something to help the needy, everybody knows, right? Everybody, hey, did you know that I gave this person this much money? And then I go and tell everybody, hey, guess what I did? You know, I helped the needy. But what does Jesus say? You do that, your only reward are going to be the people who said, hey, Dave, that was a great thing. Hey, Dave, that was so nice of you to do that. That's going to be my only reward. God is not going to reward that. And so what does he say to do? When we are the sheep, as he separated the sheep from goats, as we care for people, do not let what your left hand does not, make sure your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Meaning do it in secret. Do it in secret. It doesn't matter that you know what I do. It matters that God knows. But you know what? God sees it. And God's the one that rewards us. So once again, for those of us who care, we have to do those four things. We have to be loving. We have to be patient. We have to be flexible. And we have to do it out of a heart of humility, not that we're, you know, advertising it. Because I guarantee you, once you do something for somebody and you start advertising it, how do you think that person feels that you helped? Probably not, probably pretty embarrassed, right? And so when you help somebody, just do it. And don't tell anybody. But know that God knows and God sees. And God will reward you for that. Caring. Like, you know, connect. You know, you could be at different stages in your ability to care. You know, some of you have grown up in a very caring environment. So caring is something that's natural for you. Some of us have might have grown up in an environment that wasn't caring, where we, didn't, we weren't shown a lot of love. So caring for others could be difficult. And I get that, you know, and that's okay. But Jesus says caring is a part of our DNA, so wherever you are, maybe just take little steps, little steps. And you know, it, it, you know try to care for somebody and just don't tell them. You know, be anonymous. But what's our weekly challenge? Our weekly challenge is to read Matthew 25, 31 through 46 every single day. Because I think it's important for us to remi- as a reminder, <laughs> excuse me, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we are the sheep. And if we are the sheep, what characteristics should a sheep have? And this is what Jesus said in, that, um, chap- in those verses. And look for opportunities listed in this passage to help someone. Look for opportunities that are listed in this passage to help someone. And so what am I talking about here? You gave me something to eat. 
you gave me something to drink. You invited me in. You clothed me. You looked after me. You came to visit me. Now, some of these, you know, you can't do anonymously. When you visit somebody, you can't do it secretly. You could visit them, and the secret part of that is not telling anybody. But those are the things that I want you to practice, you know, this week, if you can. Because the more you practice them, the more it'll become a part of your, your DNA. And so, now we get to take communion. And uh, worship team, could you please come forward? Uh, communion is a way for us to remember that Christ did. Because when you think about all of the things that he asked the sheep to do, he did for us, you know, spiritually, so that we might have eternal life, right? He did those things for us. But he did those things when he was here on earth too. And so um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do it in remembrance of me. If you look at your little... Um, uh, communion container. So if you open the top, this re- represents Christ's body that was broken for you. That he went to the cross to die for all of our sins. That through his death on the cross, did you know that every single sin that you committed, past, present, and future, has been forgiven? And so this is why when we come before the throne of Christ, we don't have to worry that it's going to be a reward ceremony because everything that we have done wrong, he is forgiven. So this is Christ's body that was broken for you. You know, in the same way, after cup, uh, supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And this re- represents God's, uh, Christ's blood that was shed for your sins. And this represents the completeness and the power of Christ's blood to forgive all of our sins, past, present, and future. And so when you do this, do this, to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross and that we no longer have to feel guilty or ashamed of what we've done in the past or in the future because Christ has forgiven us for it.